All right, as Adam just filled us in, we left off in Exodus 36. Uh, Moses has come down from the mountain with the second copy of the Ten Commandments, and um, he, uh, he, we talked about how his, his face was radiating white, and he had to cover it up so he, didn't, he was scaring people because his face was glowing. And um, then he, um, he, 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 is, um, he asked the people to give, and they give very generously for the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus 25 to 31. There was a lot of, we spent a lot of time talking about the specifics and the materials of construction of the tabernacle uh, and all the things associated with the tabernacle, all the furniture, the, the tents, how everything was set up. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that. So you have the, in the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant, in which the Ten Commandments would reside. Then you had the veil. And then outside that, in the holy place, you had the, the, uh, the uh, right before the curtain, you had the golden altar of incense, and you had the table with the showbread, and then um, you had the lampstand, the seven, the seven, uh, seven lamps, lamp, lamped lampstand there. And then outside the tabernacle proper, you had the, the priest would go and minister in the holy place. The, the the high priest would go once a year with blood into the most holy place. It talks about in Hebrews. Then outside in the courtyard, you had the bronze laver where the priest would wash before they would go in to minister in the tabernacle. And then you had the bronze altar of the sacrifice and this was bronze altar was always there was always a fire on it it talks about that in leviticus so this was it was always a fire on it and so you and you they would lay on the animal to be sacrificed on that we also talked about the special priestly garments the the golden uh for the high priest the the golden plate over his forehead that would say holiness to the lord and then there was the, the the breastplate with the 12 stones and the ephods and the robes and everything else. So we talked about that and also the formulas for making the, the oil, the anointing oil and the incense, special formulas for that. So we discussed all of that in the past, and now the people have given the things to, um, to, to construct the tabernacle. And so in Exodus chapters 36 to 39... Um, it looks like it's repeating almost everything that we covered already in Exodus 25 to 31. So some people ask the question, well, why is the same story told twice? And uh, and my, you know, why does the Bible repeat itself here? This is this was a challenge to get through it the first time, but here we are, we're going through the whole thing a second time. Why did Moses have to repeat everything here? Well, the difference is, in the first, the first uh, uh, run through it in chapters 25 to 30, Moses is up on the mountain and God says, here's a pattern, I want you to make everything just as I've explained it to you, just as I've revealed it to you. And then in Exodus 36 to 39, they're actually building it just as the Lord said. So it's it's... It's really emphasizing the point. God gave very specific instructions, and they're, they're checking off all the boxes. Yes, we've done this exactly as the Lord said. And so rather than, because we've covered all this uh, previously in, the, in, in going through Exodus 25 to 30, 
rather than reread, rather than read this section here, I just want to highlight a few things that emphasize that point. And this is stated in Exodus 36 to 39. It's stated over and over again. Let's turn there. I'll give you a few examples. So this is the focus is, yes, we did it just like Moses was told. We did it exactly the way Moses was told. Um, Let's look in Exodus 36. So I'm going to read some examples. Exodus 36 and verse 8, Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on Aaron's garments for the holy place did as the Lord commanded Moses. Down in verse 14, He attached these as memorial stones to the shoulder of the ephod for the children of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. In verse 30 of the same chapter, it says, Uh, that way it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod and the breastplate would not rip away from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. And then 35 to 39, it says, The golden bells and pomegranates, all the hem of the robe were for ministry as the Lord commanded Moses. They made fine linen robes, woven work for Aaron and the sons, and built of fine linen and turbans of fine linen, short trousers of fine linen and sashes of fine woven linen, blue, purple, scarlet, a spun scarlet made of the weaver according as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of gold, the dedicated thing of the holy place of pure gold, and on it wrote an inscription like the engraving of a signet holiness to the Lord. And they tied a blue cord to it and fastened the turban in the manner the Lord commanded Moses. So again and again, over and over again, it says they did this just as the Lord commanded Moses. In chapter 37, I'll give you just a few more examples. In verse 19, it says, He also made the rings of the tabernacle of gold and the rings of the court and those for the drawing out of the veil above made of bronze. He cast in silver the capitals of the tabernacle in the bronze and the capitals of the door of the tabernacle and the gate of the court. He made silver hooks to be attached to the posts. I'm sorry, that was, that was uh, I, I meant to be in chapter 39. Chapter 39 in uh, in uh, let's let's skip down to verse 17 I'll start in verse 13 so they brought to Moses the garments the tabernacle all the vessels and the bases the bars and the posts the ark and the covenant's poles the altar and its vessels the anointing oil the incense compound the pure lamps a lamp and the lamps lamps for burning the oil for light the table of offertory the bread set forth upon it and all the utensils the garments of the holy place which belonged to Aaron and his sons for ministering as priests the curtains of the courtyard and the post, the veils for the door of the tabernacle, the court gate, all the utensils for the tabernacle and all its instruments, the ram skins dyed red, the blue coverings and all the coverings, the pegs and all the instruments for the work of the tabernacle of testimony. Whatever things the Lord commanded Moses, thus the children of Israel made and prepared in every respect. 
Then Moses looked over all the work, and it was done in the manner the Lord commanded Moses. They did it in this way, and Moses blessed them. So uh, that's really why this is in there. Says, but God explained when it, Moses is up on the mountain, do it exactly this way, and then it confirms, yes, we did everything exactly the way the Lord told us to do this. Um, now, why was it so important to do it exactly the way that the Lord told them? And God was very specific, as you recall. He talked about the materials of construction, what metals to be used, what colors, um, what orientation, north, south, east, west. Everything was very, very specific. How, the, how it was going to be hung, how it was going to be set up. Uh, how it was going to be moved around with, with, with special rings in it. So God was extremely specific in, in, in laying out the specifications of construction here. Why was God so specific? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 8, turn there in verse 4, uh, read partway through verse 4, it's talking about the Jewish priests under the Old Covenant. It says, they serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he's about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all the things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That's Hebrews 8, 4 and 5, where uh, there the Hebrews writers quoting from Exodus 25, 40. So it says that the things in the tabernacle where the, the minister, the, where the priests served, they served a copy and shadow of heavenly things. So one reason that you had to, had to make it exactly is because God's creating a, a sort of a scale model of a spiritual reality. So God insisted you have to do it exactly that way for reasons that I'm sure Moses didn't understand. And also God says, see to you that see to it that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So the other reason he had to do it that way is because God said so. God said do it exactly this way. So that's that's a good enough reason right there. If God tells you to do something, just do it, even if you don't understand the reason why. So that's the two reasons why they had to do it exactly that way. Is number one, God said said to do it that way for, for whatever his purpose was, and the other was because that everything that Moses was doing would was was tied into a reality that would not be revealed until 1400 years later. So it all had to be done that way and recorded that it was was done that way for that reason. Uh, their shadow of the heavenly things. And and in the story of the tabernacle as we talked about in previous lessons the spiritual realities are reflected about God, about Christ as the high priest, the Holy Spirit, the body of Jesus, heaven, the church, prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, angels. It's all, it's all there. It's all, it's all in, in the construction and the details of this, even the dimensions, the three to one ratio. So, uh, uh, so, so those are the two reasons. God said so, and there was a reason which Moses couldn't understand, but would become apparent 1,400 years later for the benefit of all of us. Now, I just wanted to, to touch on something that's very simple, but I think it's, 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 a, it's a very simple point. It's all over the Bible. Uh, there's a wonderful blessing that comes from simply 
doing what God tells you to do, whether you understand the reason for it or not. Now, I'm always digging in the scriptures and I'm trying to figure out why does God want me to do this? Why does he want me to do that? Why does he set it up this way? I'm always digging and probing because I'm, I'm a curious person and I want to know and I'm questioning everything. But I don't question if God wants me to do something that he knows what he's doing. And even if I don't yet understand, if I never understand it in this life, it's still, I accept that God knows, God is God and I'm just, I'm just a person with very limited uh, understanding, and God knows, he sees beyond, and he, he sees the centuries, he sees how everything fits together. And even if I don't understand why he wants me to do something a certain way, if he, if he tells me, I trust that God loves me and God is good, and, and if he tells me to do it, it's for a good reason whether I understand it or not. And there's throughout the scriptures, there's so many blessings that come from people who just did what God said, even though they didn't understand. I mean, think about the example of faith that's given in, in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So Noah, think about this, it had never rained on the earth before. The, the earth was, you know, never certainly never rained a flood like this. So he was preparing for something that he couldn't possibly grasp. But God says, build this enormous structure this way, this size, this dimensions with the three decks and everything else. And, and uh, that he, so he was, he was building something for something he had never seen and couldn't really fully imagine. But he just did what God said. And through that, God saved him and his family. And all of us are the beneficiaries of that, all of us being descended from from Noah and his his three sons. Uh, also, Hebrews eleven eight says Abraham obeyed when called to go out of the place where he received as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. All right, so that's this is a beautiful beautiful uh, figure for life. Is he he just did what God said, not knowing where he was going. God says go, and so he just went and. Uh, uh, and God blessed him for that. This was this is faith. Faith is doing what God tells you to do, when He tells you to do it, how He tells you to do it, even if you don't know how it's going, all going to play out. Um, on the opposite side, the negative side, the famous line that Jesus uh, in, in Luke seventeen thirty two he says uh, a famous three word warning: Remember Lot's wife. Okay, remember Lot's wife. What's there to remember about Lot's wife? We don't even have her name. What's to remember about Lot's wife is Lot's wife was told when the angels had her hand and they were running out of the city, don't look back. The city's being destroyed. Don't look back. And so what does she do? Does That doesn't make much sense to her. She looks back anyway and she turns into a pillar of salt and, 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 never, and she, she loses her life because... She disobeyed a command that she clearly didn't understand. And it's like, whether she understood or not, just this is an angel who's taking you out of here. You just do what, do what it says. Um, and then the classic example in, in Genesis 22, talk about this in Hebrews 11. Also, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. So he's told, go sacrifice your son Isaac and... He loves his son, and 
he's looking forward to having many descendants through his son, that God promised him that, but he does what God says. And he, he tries to reason it out the best that he can, but in, he, he assumes that God's going to, after he kills him, he's going to raise him up from the dead. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. He reasoned that well, God, it must be that God can raise the dead, he can do anything, so after I kill him, he's going to raise him up again. So even though he didn't, he, he, he tried to figure it out, he got it wrong, but he, if he learned something in the process that God, in fact, can raise the dead. He figured that out. But God blessed him because he did what God told him to do, even when he, when he didn't understand it, didn't understand the reason. It says, the walls of Jericho fell by faith. Now, how did the walls of Jericho fall? Well, the jaws of Jericho fell when the people walked around it for seven days. And then on the last day, they walked around it and they shouted and blew the trumpets because God told them through the angel, shout and blow the trumpets and the walls will fall down. Now, does that make any sense? This is a walled city, big wall around the outside. Shout and blow your trumpets and the walls are going to fall down. Well, they just did what God said and he took care of the rest of it. So uh, really, if we if we do what God says, and, and re- Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Sermon on the Plain. Just simply do what God says, all right? <laughs> Simple point. It's all over the scriptures. And in conclusion, the Sermon on the Plain in, in Luke 6, starting in verse 46, Jesus asked the rhetorical question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and couldn't shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So this is this is what Jesus says, just... Put what I'm teaching into practice. Do what I tell you, all right? And, and, and you will build your house on the foundation that will last when the storms come. John 14, 21, Jesus says, He who has my commands and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So all the the wonderful blessings and promises that we can't fully grasp by just obeying Jesus and do do what he says. And James James one very famous statement: Be not do not be do be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed on what in what he does. So, I mean, how many how many ways can you apply this principle in in your spiritual life? Just do what God says, even if whether you understand or you don't understand it. And and how much simpler the Christian life would be, and how much more unified the Christians all over the world would be if we just did this. Just just do what God says, um, and and follow the details. The most important things we do. The most important things first. We don't want to neglect the smaller things either. So is your attitude. 
The same as Moses. Moses. Moses was given very detailed instructions, and he did exactly. He did exactly down to the detail what God told him to do, and then he could he could rest. He set everything up just like God told him to. Um, well, take an inventory of your own life. The simple things that God says about how and when you pray, about fasting, about giving to the poor promptly being reconciled with others, the importance of being unified with all other Christians to the fullest extent that you possibly can, loving your enemies and uh, not resisting an evil person, the teachings in the scriptures <coughs> related to marriage. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. Marriage is, is, is permanent uh, until death. Uh, how you dress, how you, the clothes that you wear, uh, even something. Now, I, I remember all the arguments I got in the past about the, the head covering teaching. Well, can we just do what the Bible says? And why do we have to, even if somebody doesn't understand it, Paul gives the reasons there. But then he, he also, one of the reasons he gives is he gives, and he is because of the angels. Now, who understands, who understands that? I could guess what that means, but can I definitively say I know what Paul means when he says, Women need to cover their heads because of the angels. No, but whatever it is, we need to do just we just need to do it when, when, when you pray and prophesy. So just the simple attitude of 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 I want to understand whatever whatever God is telling me to do, why he wants to, but but bottom line is even if I don't understand. Now there are two different <clears throat> philosophies that, that parents have when they're raising children. And one is the parents who want to every time they ask their children to do something. They'll explain the reason why. You need to do this because if you don't do this, you're going to fall off and, and hurt yourself and go to the hospital and, you know, blah, blah. You, they, they give, the, give the children, tell them what to do, and they'll give all kinds of reasons. Then there's the other kind of parent who will say, uh, Johnny, just don't do this. And they don't necessarily give the reason. They'll just, they'll just tell them to do it. And uh, I... I tend to favor the second, particularly when children are really little, and then fill in more reasons when they get older. Because I think it's really important to, to teach children they need to respect and obey their parents, even if they don't understand the reason why. The parents love them and they're looking out for their own good. And they have reasons as they're wandering into a, a, a highway with traffic. I don't need to explain the laws of physics of what's going to happen when the car hits you. Just say, stop and get out of the road. And, and they need to learn to obey. And then I can explain later on when they're able to, to understand that. The, the things that the Bible says about gossip and slander and unwholesome talk, about laziness, about loving the world, selfishness and greed, about submission, submission to the governing authorities, play, praying for those in the government. I mean, is there, has there ever been a time in your life in, in this country, in the United States, the country is just split right down the middle, half on one side, half on the other side, and... And uh, there are believers that are, that are on both sides of this. But if we can just say, look, we need to submit to the governing authorities, whoever the legitimate governing authority ends up being at the end of the day. And we need to pray for the country and pray for those who are involved in leadership and have, be, have a submissive, not, not a rebellious attitude. And the same thing with submission, a submissive attitude towards uh, uh, wives to the, their husbands. Husbands have to lay down their wives' uh, uh, lives 
uh, for their for their for their wives and their families, uh, honoring our parents, and having a patient and loving attitude towards others that may try our patience or be hard to love sometimes. So this is this is what God is telling us to do. See, these things aren't easy. Some of them are not easier than others, but. Well, that's the attitude. Is God tells us to do something, we need to do it. And I'm not, I don't want to get the wrong idea. I'm not saying just suck it up and obey with a lousy attitude. Just do what he says and 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 and, and be resentful and bitter about that the whole time. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. I ha- and have not love, I gain nothing. So it's like, that's useless. You have to do it with a loving, a loving attitude. So I love God. I love other people. I'm struggling here, but I'm doing this out of love for God. Of course, uh, doing, if you're doing it out of fear for God, that's not a bad motivation either. Jesus uses that as a perfectly good motivation as well. So I think it's good for us to wrestle, to try to understand the reason why God wants us to do things. It helps us to understand how God thinks, and, and it, it, it produces greater wisdom in us. There's much benefit to that. But, but if we're not there on something, let's just do what God says. And uh, like, like Moses did. He, he was doing things that he couldn't possibly, wouldn't be, no one would understand for 1,400 years. Now think about the craftsmen as they're, you know, as they're building the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. Now the guy could have said, well, look, the main thing is it's supposed to be a gold-covered box to hold the Ten Commandments, okay? The dimensions aren't that important. It just needs to be big enough to hold the Ten Commandments. They, they didn't do that. God said, here are the dimensions. Make it this way. It's going to have a solid gold cover. It's going to have two angels on the top facing each other with their, with their wings overshadowing this. Do it exactly that way, and that's what they did. The same thing when they're making the breastplate, where they're supposed to have 12 different stones, if the artist said, you know, I think it would look better mm-hmm. if we used, uh, you know, four rows, like three of the same stones in each row. It would be more balanced. It would look kind of awkward with 12 different stones here. How, let me see if I can improve on what God came up with. Or simplify it. Or a, a nice grid of three by three would look better than three by 12. So let's have nine stones there. They didn't do that. They said, they did it. This is, God says to do it this way. Let's do it the way. So I would encourage us to have the same attitude. Let's, let's obey all the commands of God and uh, try to figure out, okay, what is, what is he really telling me to do here? Let's just do it. Not, not, no shortcuts, no explanations. And I think of the old song, the line from the old gospel song, uh, expressing that we may not understand everything that, 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 that's, that's going on and the reasons for it, but we'll understand it better by and by, all right? <laughs> Remember that song. So David's got an idea about a song for after the lesson's over. Okay. <laughs> we'll understand it better by and by, or maybe we won't, I don't know. But, but just God knows what he's doing, and let's just do exactly what he says. That's, that's point number one. Uh, let's pick up in Exodus chapter 40 now. And read about the first three quarters of that. So everything's set up. Moses has done things just like God, God told him to. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, the new moon, you shall set up the tabernacle of testimony. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and lay it out its offering and bring in the lampstand and install its lamps. 
You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark and put up the veil for the door of the tabernacle of testimony. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of testimony. You shall put a cover over the tabernacle and consecrate everything pertaining to it. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. You shall consecrate it and all the utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offerings and all the utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doors of the tabernacle of testimony and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. You shall also bring his sons and put garments on them. You shall anoint them as you anoint their father, so they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him, so he did. Then it came to pass on the first month of the second year after the departure from Egypt, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was set up. So Moses sat up the taber- set up the tabernacle, placed the capitals, inserted the bars, set up the posts. He spread out the curtains over the tabernacle, put the veil of the tabernacle on it above as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he took the testimonies, put them into the ark, inserted the poles under the ark. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of testimony on the north side of the tabernacle of testimony outside the veil of the tabernacle. He also set the bread on the offertory upon it before the Lord in the manner the Lord commanded Moses. Then he put the lampstand in the tabernacle of testimony on the south side of the tabernacle and he placed its lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He also put the gold altar of the tabernacle of testimony in front of the veil, and he burned incense compound on it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he put the altar of burnt offering before the doors of the tabernacle. He also set up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar. So Moses finished all the work. So everything's set up, ready for God to make the next move. Um, I want to just back up here and talk about the timeline it, it, it is when this happened it says the tabernacle is set up verse 15 it says the tabernacle is set up on the first day of the first month of the second year of their departure from Egypt all right let's figure out what that means now they had back in those days they had a lunar calendar it was based on the moon and so the first day of the month was the new moon, as it's what it says in Exodus 40, verse 1. So that's, that's how you, you kept track of the time, but the word month comes from moon, even in English. So it was, it was a lunar month, calendar, 28 days. First day of the month was a new moon, so the 14th of the month was full moon, okay? So think about that. So first day of the month is the new moon, 14th of the month is the full moon, and the calendar for the Jews was established right back in Egypt at the time of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And remember, in Exodus chapter 12, it said, on the 10th day of this month, select a lamb to be sacrificed. On the 14th day of the month, kill the lamb at twilight. All right, And then the next seven days until the 21st day of the month, 
You don't eat, you eat, get all the yeast out of the house and you don't eat anything with yeast. So that's all takes place during the first month of the year. So this is, so they leave Egypt and then a year transpires and now they're going around, this is the second year. All right, so basically it's been one full year. Since they left Egypt, it's been one full year. And what happened during that year? Well, it took about two months between crossing of the Red Sea to get to the foot of Mount Sinai. And then they spent 10 months camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain uh, uh, there a couple of times during that for, for 40 days each time. Gets the Ten Commandments and the other instructions. And then the tabernacle is assembled all during that 10-month that period. So it took a few months to, to put this all together. Now, how long did the Israelites spend in the wilderness? They spent 40 years. And that's well, in the book of Numbers, it talks about that. So they were they were sentenced to 40 years in the wilderness. So this is basically, this is just the first year down, 39 yet to go to complete the story before Joshua leads them into Canaan. So this is Moses' life is three periods of 40 years. The third 40 years is is basically from uh, leaving them out of Egypt and until Moses dies at the age of, of 120. All right, so uh, so it's just just a t- this is the timeline. So this is a year after the after the Passover after leaving Egypt when this takes place. 39 more to go in the wilderness. Uh, now, what happens during that there's a period right here several significant things happen during the next Six or eight weeks, this period of time. And it's talked about in Exodus number. So first thing is, it says on the first day of the first month of the year, that they start, he sets up the tabernacle. That's the, that's the first thing that happens, okay? Then on the 14th day of the month, it's Passover. In Numbers 9, it says, God tells them, all right, now you celebrate the Passover. So this is the first, this is the second time that they celebrate the Passover after the initial one. So they celebrate the Passover on the 14th of the month. Then it says on the, in Numbers, Numbers chapter 1, Numbers starts off with a census. It's a military census. They count all the men that are over the age of 20. So anybody who's old enough to serve in the military, basically. So on the first day of the second month, in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 1, the God says, take a census of all the people. That's the, that's the beginning of Numbers. And then in Numbers chapter 10, it says, on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud ascends and the people break camp and leave Mount Sinai. All right? So that's, this is all happening in the space of less than two months, one year after they leave. You have the, you have the, the call for the census, you have the temple's tabernacle set up, and then you have the cloud lifting off the tabernacle of people pack up and leave Mount Sinai. All right, so just to see, see, see how the pieces fit together in the story. Um, so after everything is set up, I love the line here. It says, so Moses finished all the work. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 27. He did it all. He did everything God told him to do. And he said, he, not only were all the pieces made, but he assembled it and set everything up. And he got the lamps lit. And he got the, he's got the incense. He's got the bread out there. And just waiting for God to make the next move. Next move is the Lord's. All right. Exodus chapter 40, uh, starting in verse 28. <clears throat> then the cloud covered the tabernacle of testimony. And the tabernacle was filled with the Lord's glory. 
But Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of testimony because the cloud overshadowed it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud ascended from the tabernacle, the children of Israel prepared to depart with their belongings. But if the cloud did not ascend, they did not prepare to depart until the cloud ascended. For before all Israel, throughout all their journeys, the cloud was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night. So this is pretty exciting. This is the, the tabernacle's all set up, and then boom, the Lord descends in the cloud, the cloud by day and the fire by night, initially filling up the tabernacle to the extent that Moses, Moses can't even go in there because the tabernacle is filled with the Lord's glory. This event is described again in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 9. A few more details there. Let's take a look at that. Numbers chapter 9, and starting in verse 15. So this is kind of where the story picks up chronologically. Sometimes people reading through the Bible, and they, they, hit, they hit this point in Exodus, they go off to, off to Leviticus, and like, what happened? To the, where did the story go? Well, the story's picked, picked up in Numbers. Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15. It says, Now on the day the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the house of the testimony, from eventide until morning. It was on the tabernacle like the form of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the form of fire by night. Whenever the cloud ascended from the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel broke camp, and in the place where the cloud stood, there the children of Israel made camp. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would make camp, and at the command of the Lord, they would break camp. All the days the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle, the children of Israel would encamp. Even when the cloud would continue many days on the tabernacle, the children of Israel would obey God's orders and not break camp. So it would be, whenever the cloud would overshadow the tabernacle a number of days, at the voice of the Lord, they would encamp. At the command of the Lord, they would break camp. So it would be, when the cloud would continue from eventide until morning, and the cloud would ascend in the morning, then they would break camp. And if the cloud would continue a day or a night or a month or an abundance of days overshadowing it, the children of Israel would encamp and not break camp. At the command of the Lord, they break camp. At the command of the Lord, by the hand of Moses, they would obey the Lord's order. So... This just kind of fills, fills in. It gives you a little picture, a little, a little more detail about what happened and from this point forward about uh, the, the, uh, basically uh, the operating instructions for the people. So it's fire by night, cloud by day. When it lifted, they pack up and basically follow wherever it went. So this was their GPS in the wilderness. This told them where to go. You know, you, you turn the turn the, the GPS on, and we have we use ways. It'll say, turn right in one thousand feet, something like that. Well, this is what this is what they would do. They, they would they would Moses would just say, follow the cloud, whatever the cloud does. If the cloud was parked there for one day or half a day or for months at a time, then they, that's where they would stay. The cloud would tell them exactly where to go. Um. This story here about the cloud descending and filling the tabernacle reminds me an awful lot of what happened when the temple was dedicated by Solomon. And there you have more 
details. So, <clears throat> the, the idea that the tabernacle and the temple structure was just for the priests and the regular people had nothing to do, you can be left with that impression because it talks all about the priests and the high priests. And, and, and you think, well, what does that have to do with everybody else? What's the significance of the tabernacle? Because yet we were studying all the pieces and parts, but now the whole thing comes together and the Lord has descended uh, in, in a pillar of cloud and fire in, in, in some sense here. And in the account in... Um, in Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, where they dedicate the temple. The temple was a permanent structure located in one place. The tabernacle was portable structure. You can move it around. It was replaced by, the, the, by the, the temple. Of course, David wanted to build the temple. God said, through Nathan, David could not build the temple, that one of his offspring would build it. And Solomon ends up building the temple that David wanted to build. Or he builds a temple, put it that way. So, so, so he, he builds the temple, and then he dedicates the temple. And it's, it's a lot of similarities. So let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So Solomon gathers the materials, oversees the construction of the, tabern- of the temp- temple, just like Moses had with the tabernacle. And he gathers the people together. He gathers the, the leaders together, the elders. And um, let's, let's pick it up in, in verse 11. It says, When the priests came from the holy place, for all the priests who were present were sanctified before being separated in divisions, and the Levites and the singers of Asaph and Heman and Jedithan and their sons and brethren stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, with them were 120 priests surrounded with trump, uh, sounding with trumpets. And the trumpeters and singers were as one voice in sounding the trumpet and singing and praising thanksgiving to the Lord. When they lifted up their voices with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, they praised the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The house was filled with the cloud of the Lord's glory. So the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon said, The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud, but I built a house for you, a house holy for you, and prepared for you a place to dwell forever. Um, So what... Who or what was dwelling inside the temple? Was God actually living there? Was, 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 that, was, this, was, was the temple literally a house for God? Well, Solomon explains later on, lest we get the wrong idea, um, that that's not exactly what's going on. Um, in verse 18, in uh, chapter 6, Solomon says, Will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. What is this house I built? Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, Lord my God, and listen to the supplication and prayer your servant prays before you today. So day and night your eyes may be open toward this house, toward the place where you said you would put your name that you may hear the prayer of your servant praise in this place, and you may hear the supplication of your servant 
and your people Israel when they pray in this place. Hear from your dwelling place in heaven. And when you hear, be merciful. And then he goes on. He says, he says, you know, if somebody sins and repents and turns back and comes to this place and prays, hear them. If the whole nation has sinned and they're defeated in war or, or you sent a, a drought or a famine on the people and the people return and come back to this place and repent and pray to you, listen to them. He says, if a foreigner, somebody who's not even a Jew, comes and seeks you and comes to this place and prays to you, listen to them. And he says, and if the people, if the people end up sinning and getting hold off into captivity, you know, just hypothetical case, if perhaps that were to happen. <laughs> if the people get hauled off into captivity and from there, they can't even come to the temple, but they face the temple. They look to the temple and they pray long distance facing the temple. Hear them and bring them back and they repent. So what does this teach you about the temple? Does God live there? No, he doesn't live in there. He says, even the heavens can't contain you. You don't live in a house made by people. But this, the temple was a focal point of prayer. Okay, it wasn't just the priests ministering there. This is for everybody in the whole world. It's a temple as it was, it was a focus of prayer for the people who are far away, for the people who are there, for the Jews, for the Gentiles, uh, uh, for people who really mess up badly when they repent and come back to God, is that God would listen when the people prayed toward the temple. So this is, it's all tied in with prayer. And Solomon understood that. The, the, the temple just replaced the tabernacle, but all the same principles apply. The, t- the tabernacle could be moved around. The temple was, was uh, fixed in one place in Jerusalem. So God doesn't actually dwell in the temple. Solomon understood that. Um, God's name resides there. Now, what that means is that's, 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 that's deep. His name resides there. And uh, maybe it's like, a, you can think of it as being like a, uh, like a receiver box or something like that. You, see, you want to talk to God, you, you speak to the temple and God, God will, you know, facing the temple, God will hear you. Um, the, uh, and, and think about this in light of several different things in the scriptures. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, who's childless, and, and, and really wants to have a son. She wants to have a child. She goes to the tabernacle. This is before the temple is built. She goes to the tabernacle and is praying intensely there. And Eli, the priest, is saying, you know, what, what's, 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 what's your problem? Are you drunk or something? What's, 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 what's going on? So, so uh, she's, pray, she's going to the tabernacle to pray and ask for a child. Um, Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, he is one of the people who's in captivity. And in Daniel chapter 6, when he gets thrown in the lion's den, what's he get thrown in trouble for? He gets thrown in trouble because, he, he, what's he get thrown in the lion's den for? He's in trouble because he opened up his windows and he prayed facing Jerusalem, which is exactly what Solomon said you're supposed to do when, you're, when you can't get to Jerusalem because you're in captivity in some other part of the world. So... That's what he did. He was praying facing Jerusalem, and he ended up in the lion's den because uh, he, he did it three times a day, as was his custom. Um, in Isaiah chapter 56, uh, there's the, the famous statement. Let's, let's turn it. Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse 3. 
Jesus quotes part of this, but I, I, want, I want to read the whole thing. So just to think about God's attitude, even, even during the time of Isaiah, God's attitude towards people who aren't Jewish, which the Jews couldn't, couldn't grasp. Isaiah 56, verse 3, Let not the foreigner who is devoted to the Lord say, The Lord therefore will separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, I'm a withered tree. The Lord says this to the eunuchs, As many as keep my Sabbaths and choose the things I will and lay hold of my covenant, I will give them a notable place in my house and within my wall, a place better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an eternal name and it shall not fail. I will also give an eternal name to the foreigners who devote themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love his name and to be his male and female servants and to all who keep my Sabbath so as not to profane them and who hold fast to my covenant. I will lead them to my holy mountain and gladden them with my house in my house of prayer. Their whole burnt offerings and sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all nations, says the Lord, who gathers the dispersed of Israel. For I will gather together a congregation to him. So this is God's plan was always the temple would be for the whole world, for anybody in the whole world. And it would be a, a house of prayer for all nations. This was, this was the picture of the tabernacle. So we see the tabernacle, don't just look at the priests and, and, and the, the, the specific things that they're doing, ministering in there, which all have significance, but to see this as God's desire to be the, the focal point of prayer and, and worship for people all over the world, not just the Jews. And that's what Jesus, when Jesus Matthew 21, when Jesus is driving out the uh, the, the money changers and overturning the temples in Matthew 21, the, the, in the second time that he does this. And he, he, he says, my house shall be, this is what is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. So this was, this was Jesus was upset about this because the temple is supposed to be a place of prayer, not just a, uh, not just a, a place for ripping people off and making money. Uh, so when we think about the tabernacle or the temple throughout the Old Testament, I want you to think about prayer. This is the place where you would turn to pray. And the importance for us is that God wants his house to be a house of prayer. Um, in, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, she asked Jesus the question, you know, our fathers, the Samaritans, we worship God on this mountain, but... The Jews say we have to go to Jerusalem to worship it. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where the temple was, okay? And Jesus says the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They won't worship God in, on, on, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming when people will worship God everywhere, not facing, not facing this, this temple any longer. The God had a greater plan. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, transformed a man-made structure into something that was spectacular. I'm reminded of what something that uh, James Harding said about 100 years ago, and he was talking about people who, who had a hard time believing the Holy Spirit actually dwelled inside of people. And he says, you know, 
Without the Holy Spirit, he said, he said, a person without the Holy Spirit, it's like a trolley car without electricity. It's just a, basically a pile of rusting junk, okay? The energizing force, the thing that gives it life is the electricity. This is the power. It's the same thing. You can build the tabernacle, but if the Lord doesn't descend on it, what is it? It's just, it's just, just a human, it's just a man-made structure. The, the pillar of cloud and fire, that, that came down on it. I mean, I think this is, this is foreshadowing the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. This is obviously a reference to we're being, John 3, 3 to 5, born again of water and the Spirit. This is the spiritual rebirth involving the Holy Spirit. When does the cloud first show up? It shows up in right after... In Exodus chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, right after the Passover lamb is slain, that's when the pillar of cloud and fire shows up, leads them to the water, through the water, and then for 40 years through the wilderness. Mm. The importance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to baptism, leads us through the water. We're born again of water and the Spirit. We're born again in the cloud and the sea as they were baptized in Moses and sea. And then leads them all the way through the 40 years in the wilderness. The importance of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit told them where to go. It gave them the route. It was the center of the community. It pulled them all together, told them when to break camp and when to make camp and when to, when to just stay, stay where they were. The Holy Spirit, this shows, to me, it shows the, it's the unifying impact of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the guiding, guiding force leading them all the way uh, to the end. And... Um, and the, the and I'll close with Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 19. This picture of the, the tabernacle or the temple, which is filled by the Spirit, is an illustration for what the church is supposed to be, which is a, a, a structure, a tabernacle made of, made of living stones in which the Spirit of God dwells. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this is the, this is the picture. The temple that is filled, the temple of tabernacle is filled by the Spirit of God. This is a picture of the church that we are to be the living stones and God is to dwell in our midst in, in the form of the Holy Spirit. So... Um, this is where the story of Exodus ends, and the journey continues on in the book of Numbers. So I don't know if we're going to hit that immediately next or sometime in the future, Lord willing. But uh, it's been a, a wonderful journey together to go through this book. Amen. Mm.